You've read or heard or preached the scripture this week. Now what? Join me, Pastor Carissa, and my colleague, Pastor Alan, as we explore the spaces between the Sundays in our podcast, Soft Idolatry. Welcome to Soft Idolatry, Season 4, Episode 14. Carissa, how's it going today? It's a little wet and dreary here in Pittsburgh today, but things are going okay. How about you? It is wet and dreary here in Jersey as well, and I had the fun of being out for a long drive in the wet and dreary weather because I got to go visit one of my members in a nursing home. That is so exciting. That's something I was talking about with um, some colleagues the other night, that it feels luxurious to be able to do our job right now. Yeah, the, you know, the, the parts of it that... Um, the parts of it that are very relational, uh, that, that involve visiting with people in their spaces are, are things that we're trained for, that we're used to doing. And all of that has been on hold for the last 12 months. It's not quite an amputation, but it's, it's like you find this, this limb that you haven't used in a year. Yeah, it does feel an awful lot like that. And, you know, not even just visiting people in their spaces, but it's our, it's our, training our calling <laughs> what we do what we're experienced at and have been taught how to do well is to be with people in vulnerable spaces mm-hmm. like hospitals and nursing homes and funeral homes mm-hmm. and and even weddings and baptisms are vulnerable in a particular way right just in a more blessed sort of way but they're an intimate vulnerable moment and we haven't been able to do that. We, we've we found some workarounds for funerals and, and weddings and things like that. But, yeah, it feels like having an arm lopped off. Right. I mean, we've, we've celebrated baptisms during the pandemic in my congregation. One of them was uh, a girl who was, who was 16. And so we were able to do that outside at one of our outdoor worship services. And the other was an infant baptism inside in October. So we we took a calculated risk there. And uh, you know, you know, in terms of vulnerable, I, I guess yes, we're definitely vulnerable to um, the factors that influence transmission of the coronavirus. I suppose we're also vulnerable if the pastor is really clumsy and, you know, baby could get dropped, but. (laughs) I meant in more of, not in a like superhero weakness, kryptonite way, but more of a like, that's just an intimate moment, right? We're, we're, we're meant to be close to people spiritually, um, you know, emotionally and, and physically in a lot of ways. And, you know, I did a wedding this winter that was, we got lucky because it was outdoors, but it was a beautiful day. Um, but, you know, it was outdoors and because of COVID, everybody's wearing masks. And there were two attendants and the photographer and myself and my husband and the bride and groom. And that was it. And um, it was pretty weird. That would have been a small wedding to begin with, just due to the nature of the family there and everything. But it was just still kind of 
odd. You know, funerals feel really weird now, too. Have you had funerals? You have had some funerals over this I, year. Yes, I, I have. I mean, I went, ooh, boy, I think I think I went something like eight months without officiating a funeral, which is an incredibly long time when you're a pastor. And, and then I had a few right in a row that were graveside only and even in the winter and uh now they they've kind of returned to a limited seating capacity version of a typical funeral service um but yeah it's still it's still weird and even even this visit today was a little bit weird because there were some physical barriers there were soft barriers to enforce social distance and and yet despite the limited barriers it was still it was still a lot like uh it was enough like normal that the good parts of normal that it felt liberating to be back doing this part of the job again yeah, I um, they still haven't called up the the group in Pennsylvania clergy are in. I feel like they've called everybody except for clergy in Pennsylvania now. Like, if you're a smoker, you can just waltz in and get it. I'm like, I wish I weren't allergic to nicotine. I would take up smoking to go get my COVID vaccine. I wouldn't before anyone writes hate mail. I wouldn't actually do that. But um, it's it's been kind of frustrating uh, in that regard. But you know, every time our, our folks get together for a Bible study or morning prayer, there's another person who says, I got my shot or I got my appointment or I got my second dose. And so it's been really fun to cheer with everybody because that's like our light at the end of the tunnel. That's our hope that, you know, that people will continue to embrace vaccination. You know, we need to get up to what, 80 percent of people vaccinated to truly be good. So <laughs> something like that. Yeah. Um, but but yeah, you're you're right. I the numbers in my congregation are steadily ticking upwards and uh there are, there are a couple of groups in the area the the nearby hospital and also the the borough of freehold have started to open up vaccinations to much wider groups and they're, they're letting the the churches and the clergy association funnel people into those vaccination programs. Um, it seems like they're doing a really good job here uh, in my I'm, county. I'm moving to Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> Pennsylvania screwed the pooch on this one. I'm just going to put it out there. I know everybody in Pennsylvania has a different theory on how they really messed it up, but I dare you to find someone who lives in Pennsylvania that does not think they messed it up in some way. We just have disagreement <laughs> about how they messed it up. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's um, it's not been great here. But there is this this hope of getting back together and being community together again, because that's that's what we do as Christians. That's what we do as pastors and as sisters and brothers in Christ is we care for one another in in those um those times in which we are vulnerable or um, open in in some way, and you you have a baptism this week too, correct? Correct. Yep, uh, it, it is an infant baptism. The the couple uh, are not active members of the congregation, though their two previous children together have been baptized 
in this congregation, so we're carrying on that tradition. And uh, I'm I'm proud to say that my my session is really good about not putting up barriers, um, not not forcing um, not forcing people into older ways of being the church. You know, we we come from a denomination that was very hidebound for very long, and there are still lots of members in our pews who are good at those old denominational fights. And, you know. Yeah, and, you know, I, I feel like the importance of baptism um, from the church's perspective, right? It's a sacrament, so there's something really important that God is doing in that moment. But for the church's role in it, that is to be the faith community for that child and or that family. And if that family is routinely coming to you to have children baptized, and that's their only interaction with the church, then it could be argued that that church is their faith community. They just aren't particularly active in it. And, of course, they're not going to continue to be even that active in it if you tell them, bugger off, you don't belong here. It's it's always an invitation into community and relationship. And if we don't extend those invitations we can guarantee that we won't have new people coming into our space. Yeah. Yeah. I always like to have a conversation with families um, just to say, you know, this is, this is the meaning and the importance of baptism. We don't expect you to start, you know, tithing to the church or becoming an, an active member, but we love you and want, want you to be part of the community. So um, yeah, I like to make sure they understand that like, this isn't going to save your baby. Um, it might make grandma happy. So if that's what you're doing it for, it will probably accomplish that. Um, but this isn't going to save your baby from hell or anything like that. Um, this is a community statement. So yeah, it's weird and complicated. It, it is, um, you know, membership in the Presbyterian church is weird and complicated. Yes. Yeah. And, And it is challenging to explain to someone who isn't a member, what that means, even if they worship in your church with a, with a degree of frequency. Yeah. I have folks who've been worshiping in my, my congregations for ages and just don't join for whatever reason. Some Mm -hmm. because they're Catholic and don't want to be kicked out of the Catholic church, but they want to go to church with their spouse or their family or whatever. Others, they just don't see why not every culture is particularly keen on formal membership. Um, no, and, you know, sometimes people expect that there will be barriers. Um, we we have um, a member, a, a, well, two, a couple who are both members now. Um, she's been a member for a dozen years or more, but he just joined two years ago, and... He was raised Catholic. Uh, he is a retired New York City firefighter and, you know, came every now and again with his wife. But his wife uh, is super active and does leadership things, serves on boards, etc. And uh, I just said to him one Sunday, hey, you ever thought about becoming a member officially? And he said, there's not a test, is that? 
you know, very thick Staten Island yeah. accent. And, uh, and, and the answer was no, there's not a test, not if I'm running the new members class. And yes, we used to have very long new members classes, you know, six or eight weeks and you had to come to every class. And at the end of the time, you had to write a statement of faith and then appear before the session and read your statement of faith. And let me say, that's a wonderful practice and it's a wonderful experience for the people who do it. But if it keeps somebody from formal entry into the community, if it limits the congregation from having that person's service on boards, uh, we have to evaluate whether that requirement really serves the congregation. Yes, I agree. And I know it feels or it probably sounds to some of our listeners that we have just launched into talking without talking about what's going on this Sunday or what we're preaching. But um, this is we've, we're just that seamless now. We've gotten this down to such a science here. Um, this is. I, I was going to let you go and segue into it without telling everybody you without... were segueing into it. <laughs> well, we segued before, and I am now uh, pointing backwards at the segue that we made so seamlessly. So um, this week, um, the corporate practice that I am talking about in my sermon is what uh, Yoder would call the rule of Paul. Um, which is sort of how do we govern our church? How do we discern together as a community? Um, and the passages that I'm, I'm pulling from are passage in Acts where the early church is arguing about circumcision or no circumcision, which they do time and time again uh, in the New Testament. And they send folks away and have a, like a council. They have like this big meeting to decide what are we going to require of new Christians coming into the community. We've just been talking about membership here, right? And um, they come back with saying that you've really got to take into consideration the, the people that you're bringing in and, the, you know, your context and all of that. Um, so there's this discernment that has to happen in these kind of cases when we decide how do we how do we want to put the fences right how many how many gates do we want in the fences do we want a privacy fence or a chain link right how do we do that um, and then the other passage I'm pairing with it is um, the passage in Exodus where Moses realizes he's in over his head trying to govern all these people by himself. And his father-in-law Jethro says, you need to get yourself some people that you can uh, give some of these tasks to. You, you learn how to share the burden. And he does, and it goes pretty dang well. And so, um, you know, all of these, these questions about how do we form ourselves as a community are really important in our interactions to make sure that some people don't burn out while others get to slide, but also making sure that we're welcoming to the whole community, that we're not setting up too many barriers as well. Yeah, I think what we always have to do is meet people with the love of Christ. My, my reading for this Sunday is from the Gospel of John, uh, the, the story that starts with some Greeks who want to come and see Jesus. And they, they don't, Jesus is speaking first and foremost to Jews in Palestine, right? 
he is speaking to his own community. But there are always Greeks, Gentiles, outsiders at the periphery of the community. And um, instead of telling them that, uh, no, you Greeks, you're not quite ready to hear me, or this message is for someone else, we see a lot of times in the Gospels, particularly in this story, where Jesus carves out some space for dialogue. And that's what we have to do, too. We have to show Jesus to the people who are outside of our community. We have to meet them with the love of Christ. And that love always has to be our first message. We can teach them doctrine later, but it starts with love. It moves into relationship and community. And then as we are beginning to practice community, we explain the doctrine. Yes. Um, if we think about the church um, and its relationship to mission, which given my, my doctoral focus is something I do frequently, I'm studying missional leadership. But if we think about the church as an agency, um, and we think about falling church numbers and the, the rise of what some call the nuns, the N-O-N-E-S's um, in the United States, people who don't affiliate with any religion or sect in any way. Um, a lot of folks would like to jump to the idea of, well, that means we need to have more outreach events and we need to teach people more and we need to, you know, if we build it, they will come sort of thing. And um, for a lot of people, that feels um, like you're trying to sell something, which you are. <laughs> you are. There's a reason it feels like that. Uh, rather than just inviting someone to be a part of the community. And so to be the place where um, even if folks aren't really involved otherwise, they are going to come to get the baby baptized to make grandma happy because that, that community is important to her. And there's something special and sacred in those moments that I think reaches people when, and it certainly reaches them far more when there isn't that judgment attached to it or that attempt uh, at indoctrination. Right. If we offer relationship, we just might get relationship in return. What? That's crazy talk. <laughs> the Bible doesn't say that really, does it? <laughs> it actually says that quite a few times. But 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 in those really obscure books like uh, Habakkuk and uh and Nehemiah, right? Or, you know, Matthew, <laughs> John, <laughs> Acts. Yeah, some of, the, some of the little ones, lesser known, lesser known pieces. Yeah. Um, and we've spent a long time putting up those fences. I wonder, and I know this is, this is going off in the weeds maybe because we didn't talk about this before we hit the record button <laughs> like we usually do. But I wonder if part of that is because of the way that the church became basically a social club, a social agency um, in the rise of the Rotary and the Union and um homeowners associations and garden clubs and all that other stuff the church was just another thing you belonged to and all of these things you belonged to had dues you had to pay 
um, a certain number of meetings you had to go to, etc. I'm just wondering if, if the church is still feeling some of the residual effects of that, which I would argue was an incredibly damaging reframing of the church. Yeah, I, I think there's definitely, um, that that's definitely operating in there somewhere. You know, I, I think the church was part of a lot of larger patterns and demographic shifts. I mean, there were always church congregations 100, 120 years ago were big and uh, and vital, and, and it was still before the age of the organization man. And I use that title specifically. I'm referring to a book from, I don't know, the 50s or the 60s. Um, but what you're talking about, I think, is part of the pattern of the move to the suburbs in the 50s and 60s and all of the redrawing of community lines and the building of lots of new churches and congregations as people moved out from the city. And, and then something happened. There was a generational shift and it really happened in our parents' generation, but that was when people started, not many, not everyone, but some people started to notice the gaps between the rhetoric and yes. the practice. Yeah, I think that's a big thing as well. Yeah, there were all of these um, rules and lines and, and doctrines, as you said, that were on paper and were asked to be regurgitated, but weren't necessarily... <laughs> Uh, lived out in any particular way. Um, at the risk of offending folks, you'll never convince me to like the suburbs. <laughs> um, they damaged the church. They damaged uh, minority populations. They, you know, damaged the city, our urban centers, the cities. But I digress quite a lot by going into that. Um, it's probably not a very pastoral view of the suburbs, but there you have it. <laughs> never move out of the city. <laughs> I know you I've said so now. many things that God laughed at later on in yeah. Um mm -hmm. But yeah, I you know, I I remember um a few years ago I officiated a funeral for uh a man who was about 30 years old and he died from a heroin overdose. And uh his mother was I don't know, mid late sixties, and and we were we were talking as we were planning the funeral, and she said, you know, I was raised in the Presbyterian Church, and uh, I went faithfully until I got to college, and then I just began to see all of the adults around me as a bunch of hypocrites. And, you know, they, they didn't practice what they preached. They didn't love one another. And to be fair to her, I think, you know, we're, we're talking about the late 60s, early 70s, and lots of people in our parents' generation had this experience, whether they were in the church or not. And um, some of them just left. And, and I'm sure some of them left good, healthy churches but I'm also sure that a lot of them did leave unhealthy churches, did leave 
congregations where people were hung up on being perfect and uh, where they did not fully live into the commandments to uh, love your neighbor as yourself. The Bible speaks very strongly against gossip and deceitful talk and indirect speech. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. That doesn't just mean answer yes or no to a yes or no question, but like say what you mean and mean what you say. Don't beat around the bush. Um, don't talk behind people's back. And I, I mean, I honestly think that's one of the worst things a church member can do. Uh, you know, the, there's people that um, were seen as hypocrites, probably weren't out there like hosting key parties every weekend or something like that. Right. But probably <laughs> well, not. Yeah, I don't let's want not the answer go into to that, that discussion because that's that's probably yeah, a little my, bit my later guess in the 70s, is it was but, more yeah. along the lines of, you know, did you hear what Doris did or, oh, so and so is always like that. Yes. Or, oh, do you know who's, you know, whose son has a drinking problem or, you know, all sorts of things that, um, oh, well, we, you know, us, us nice church ladies have our, you know, have our Manhattans with our husbands before dinner, but we don't have a drinking problem. It's someone else who has a drinking problem. Yeah. Yeah. It's that kind of like backhanded, um, yeah, backstabby mm -hmm. stuff that is, I mean, that's just killer. That just shreds people apart. And it, and it leaves a stink for generations sometimes. You know, if you've ever been in a congregation where you've got like two warring <laughs> families, right? Like that's just <laughs> awful. And yes. it's rarely about the people who are there then. It's often like so-and-so's grandpa said something about the other grandpa and we all know what those other ones are like. And you're like, really? That was, you know, 70 years ago. Come on. Um, and it seems like such a little thing, but it's not good. No, it's it's not. And, you know, I, th I think um, there are, you know, this is Lent. So we are called to look inwardly. We are called to look at ourselves and take stock. And I think in the 50s and 60s and even the 70s and 80s, there was this idea that we're just one happy little family in our nuclear families, which many weren't happy, and our congregations, which many weren't happy. But we pretended as if we were normal and everything was good. And we didn't do this sort of self-examination and we didn't say, you know, this congregational system with the Smith family and the Jones family arguing over stupid stuff, this needs to be fixed and we need to uh, expose this cancer to the daylight and, and you know, we need to change our congregational system to be healthy. Nobody was trying this 50, 60 years ago. We just pretended that everything was good. And then people stopped coming. 
Let me, as we begin to head toward wrapping up, let me share a story that I think um, helps to bring some of these these pieces together. Um, the this idea that we need to stop putting parameters on on letting people be at church, right? Whatever those are, and stop talking about them behind their backs when they haven't met your standards. Um, the preview I was at, there were two women, um, and um, and I'm comfortable sharing this story. They've both since passed on, um, but one of them. I had like heard the name and seen it around and things. And there were some folks that still talked to her, but she didn't come to church anymore. She was on our, um, our homebound members list and they get, I had, there was an extensive list I was given when I started there too. So I wasn't sure who were like member members and who were kind of like on the periphery, you know, you always get, um, those lists and you're never quite sure who were actually members and who just came to get their kids baptized there. And, um, it, it turns out, you know, I went to visit this woman and it turns out that she had been a longtime member and she, um, uh, had had some sort of falling out with someone at church and had stopped going. And, so, you know, I, I started doing some digging and found out it was one of those family feud type things. And it came down to somebody's son was suspected of taking money out of a cash box at a flea market or something like that. And like $5 or something. It was not like a lot. Um, but that had become like this historic lore in the church and had become this wedge between two groups of people in the congregation but nobody knew that I had found out the whole story. I'd gotten bits and pieces of it from different places. And so I took the matriarch of the other family and I said, I'm going to be doing some visits over at the nursing home. A couple of folks over there. Would you like to come with me? And she said, sure. Who are we going to visit? Um, and I'm glad she agreed to go with me before I told her who we were visiting. She might not have agreed once I gave her the list. And so I told her there were a couple of folks. And then I, I, I said, and we're going to go visit Janet, too. And uh, she turned white as a sheet <laughs> and said, OK. Um, and we went and she didn't say much. Neither of them said much to the other. And we had communion together. And in that moment of, of celebrating communion together there, something broke down and they both began to cry. And um, afterward, um, she she told me, the deacon who'd gone with me told me, she said, I never thought I'd see her again. I can't believe we had that moment together. And I'm just so grateful that God put us in that space together because it doesn't seem to matter anymore. It was so long ago. And it was such a beautiful moment of God redeeming and, and um, restoring after one of those pernicious little fights. So um, don't hear... I was going to say us, but at least me. I'm not going to try to speak for you, but I'm sure you would probably agree with me on this. Um, this is not us um, bashing anyone who's ever talked about anyone, feud with anyone at church, but rather saying we're here to seek forgiveness and reconciliation. And sometimes it takes eating a little bit of crow <laughs> um, and going on a visit you may not want to go on.
Um, I guess that brings us kind of full circle back around to nursing home visits and, and intimacy and vulnerability, doesn't it? It does. It does bring us back. It, you know, it brings us back because we are talking about the most essential parts of our identity as Christians. First, the sacraments, the table and the font. Second, the visits, the relationship. That's that's who we are. That's what we do. And if we're not doing those things, our Christianity is just words with a lowercase w. It's words, not the word. Yeah. Or the bird. Word up. Word up. <laughs> we went with two different puns there. I went with the bird is the word. <laughs> the bird, bird, bird. Bird is the word. Okay. Um, and now that I've begun singing a song from The Family Guy, I think it's time for us to wrap it up. <laughs> <laughs> it is definitely time for us to wrap it up. Uh, Shall we pray? I think that's a great idea. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for your word with a capital W. We thank you for the sacraments that unite us all as believers. We thank you for relationship and the opportunity to share your love with one another through the sacraments, through visits, through community, through worship. We thank you. We thank you, and we ask that you continue to bless us as we continue to practice our faith in these ways. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Friends, go in peace to love and serve the Lord by loving and serving one another. Amen. Amen. Some of my favorite, not really a holiday, holidays are coming up tomorrow, which is Friday the 19th, probably the day this will release, is Let's Laugh Day. My star word last year was laughter, and so I, I really like laugh, so Let's Laugh Day is tomorrow. And Saturday is World Storytelling Day. I feel like I need to like call an emergency Dungeons and Dragons campaign for Saturday. <laughs> uh, I never okay. thought I'd say the words emergency Dungeons and Dragons campaign. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm I'm not quite sure how to respond to that. I can't hear you, the, the world laughter day without thinking of that uh, that insurance commercial. I think it's Geico, but I could be could be progressive wh where the uh, the guy is doing the coaching on not becoming your parents and. <laughs> and you know, the sign, you know, live, laugh, love. Does anybody need a sign that says live, laugh, love? No, oh no, nobody needs this. Um, we don't, we don't need a national laughter day. And I don't know. I, I'm, I'm almost yearning for the pun. Thanks for joining us on Soft Idolatry. For show notes and more information, check out our website at softidolatry.com. To send us questions or comments, you can email us at info at softidolatry.com. And if you'd like to help support this podcast, please become a patron at www.patreon.com slash softidolatry. That's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.